0: Welcome, everyone. Episode number 36 of the Wide Lens Podcast. I'm joined here with my co-host, John Sim, and we're going to cover the latest topics in financial markets this week. We're recording this on Friday, the 10th of March, 2023, uh, and we've kicked off at on the dot, 10 a.m. Perfect. <laughs> nice. Um, so let me let me kick off with a quick wrap-up market minute. Um, I will get this chart up here now, which is the global stock markets over the last five days. This was really interesting to me. Um, let's have a quick look. The orange being the Australian market up one about 1.5%. The blue is the European stock market up 0. 09 the red emerging markets up about one percent, and they're sort of flatlined, relatively flat. But what's interesting is the uh, the U.S. stock market in purple up three point three percent, the Nasdaq up four point six six percent over the over the last five days. And there's a huge disparity between the U.S. stock market and the rest of the rest of the world, effectively, um, which uh, just started to seem a bit weird to me, and I think mm. a lot of that might be repositioning from uh, what we saw during the month of February with a pretty some pretty poor numbers. But what I'll also then bring up here is the year-to-date numbers, and I think the year-to-date numbers are probably interesting to have a look at going forward. The Australian stock market in orange again, up 4.28%. Um, the red, the, the emerging markets, and these are all done via Vanguard, iShares and BetaShares uh, ETFs. 2.87% for emerging markets. The S&P 500 up um where are we, 6.6%. The Nasdaq, this blew my mind. The Nasdaq's up 15% a bit over 14% I should say year to date and the European stock market up 8.8%. So you can see there a huge sort of run out of the gates from from February for the for the Nasdaq. What do you what do you sort of bore that down to?
1: Oh, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Just like I,
0: massive sell-off that just rebounds. Yeah, there was a,
1: well, there was a yeah massive sell-off starting last year, and that's that's really just coming back now. I think that's probably it.
0: The the I mean, we're starting to see now. I mean, most other markets flattening out with everything that's going on in the market at the moment with inflation just becoming pretty sticky mm. and a bit messy at the moment. I think everyone had thought that it was going to be tamed. In the US, it looked looked pretty good. But the Australian market doesn't seem to have followed suit. Um, I might just take the first topic just leading um, leading off from the discussion that we just had. This is uh, Bloomberg, I'll quote Bloomberg, corporate bonds are doing surprisingly well at a time when equities and government bonds are buckling under the strain of a hawkish Federal Reserve stance. Credit is declining on a total return basis but at a slower pace than other assets. Meanwhile, investors are putting plenty of money into corporate bonds as they switch out of equities. That may help explain why credit spreads, a key gauge for asset class, uh, are narrowing, even as the treasury yield curve rings louder recession alarm bells. And I'll bring this chart up now. This is from Bloomberg. Credit is weathering Fed rate storm better than stocks. And so you've got the white line there, John, which is on the right-hand side, which is credit spreads. So you can start to see the credit spreads narrowing. Right, It going up means it's narrowing, not widening. And on the left-hand side, the purple line and blue line, the blue line are junk bonds. And the uh, – sorry, I'll start again. The purple line – this took me a little while to work out what the hell was going on. The purple line is the, US, is the S&P 500 referred to the left-hand axes. Um, so you can see the index, ah, the index level. yep. Makes and sense. the white line being investment-grade bonds and the blue line being junk bonds on the right-hand side. Both are going up, which is indicating spreads Yeah, right, the narrowing. basis points spread narrowing. Correct.
1: So that's about, call it 80, 87 basis points spread on, on, on investment-grade. Investment
0: and you've got a bit over 100 on, on junk bonds. But just to put that into perspective, junk bonds have blown out in excess of 150 basis points back in middle of last year so not even nine or about nine months later that's you know that's down 30 mm. uh, percent from from those levels so you effectively you had a rise of 30 percent in your in your uh, in your junk bond values and then you got investment grade which blew out to about 120 and now we're sitting about 97 at the moment um, what do you think that th- what do you think the reasoning behind this is if If people are pulling monies out of equities, being a risk long-term riskier asset, and putting it into investment-grade bonds, is it because bonds are still now actually generating something? That's right,
1: now generating returns, whereas previously they were on, you know, call it close to zero to one percent. Right now, you're getting four, four plus percent return on on investment-grade bonds. So. There's yeah I'll speak about this later in in my other yeah topic, okay but I
0: don't want to take your thunder no that's all right um, um, but
1: there's yeah definitely a move to um you know shifting shifting to these higher higher yield plays I've
0: got a few other charts I want to bring up this one uh, bonds are saying Powell willing to break the economy so the the blue line is the two year treasury yield in the US and the uh, white one white line is the ten year yield and you see the ten year sort of Stuck at about that four percent mark, but have a look at the two year uh, treasury yield. Mm. That's that's creeping up to four percent. That's how you start to get this this inversion, which I'll talk about um, in a second. So this this only started happening sort of back end of last year, but it's really blown out now. So what's
1: Powell actually saying? Is he saying he can't get inflation under control, and in the short term they're just going to have to
0: keep going higher? Yeah, what they're, the testimony the other day, my my reading was was that they're. What's back on the table now is multiple and bigger hikes. Mm. I think with the tw- with the twenty five they did last time, I think the view was and the tone was that um, there's going to be uh, less less right less hikes, yep. smaller amounts. But it it feels like we're going back the other way Increasingly now. Increasingly hawkish. Yeah. Yeah. And, and look, uh, rightly so, the data that's coming in. It just feels like to me that sure the inflation numbers coming down from where it was and that's great, but we're still getting some pretty solid numbers. We looked at job numbers the other the other week; they were just just January was just blew it out of the water, and so we're getting economic data that is still bloody strong. Yeah. And so what the, what the bond market is is saying it should happen, um, and what is actually ha- and what commentators are saying that we're going to f- fall into recession, want to blow the economy up, but that may happen at some point in time mm. in the future, but what's what the economy is telling us right now is that things look pretty damn good.
1: So you, you think there's uh, a, a no landing scenario sort of playing
0: out the, oh, look, I, I, I feel like this whole no landing concept seems to be gaining more and more traction with every data point that we, yeah. that we, that, that is released. Um, uh, Torsten Slock from Apollo, you and I looked at this. Um, had had this great chart that showed how the market has been increasingly wrong, specifically on imp- in, on employment data mm. for the last ten months straight. Yeah. And so it, it, it's almost like we want this thing to happen, but the but the economy still continues to punch out some pretty some pretty good numbers, some pretty pretty decent numbers. And that's why I think m- maybe, I mean, having rates this high. Was kind of where we were pre GFC. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the, what 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 blew the economy up in the GFC and where we're at now, I don't think they're comparable for a number of reasons, which I don't think we need to go to go into today. But I feel like maybe are we not normalised now? Is isn't isn't
1: it surprising how quick we adapt and and normalise and anchor a certain price level? So once once we've all got it through our heads that it's going to be higher for longer suddenly you know that that new norm you're right it just it just normalizes yeah becomes your baseline and everyone just becomes bullish again so we
0: went from cheap money to free money to cheap money to now i don't know what do you call this like reasonably priced money reasonably priced (laughs) money um let's I'll, i'll bring this uh another chart up now again um thanks to Bloomberg, Australia's faltering economy faces further rate hikes. This is interesting. This is what I believe is a disparity between what is going on in the US versus Mm. what is going on in Australia. Traders expect the RBA benchmark to top 4% despite soggy data pulse. So for those watching, uh, I'll explain the chart, and for those listening, I'll try and do my best. Um, This is for the last 12 months, uh, and what it has on this chart is the RBA expected cash rate in six months' time on the right-hand side, you can see that's been uh, getting uh, higher and higher and higher, and it's north of 4% now For um, currently. The R- effective RBA cash rate is in white uh, and has always been sort of a couple of steps lower than what the RBA expected cash rate is going to be in six months' time. And then on the left-hand side, you've got the City Economic Surprise Index, and that's been falling for the last 12 months effectively. And so what that's saying is that we're getting downside surprises on economic data in Australia. And I won't, I won't list them all now. but
1: So what's that telling us? That, that um, when when we're getting more surprises or
0: less surprises? No, no, So what it's telling us is that the surprise that – so for example, we might have um, – the market might have an expectation of employment numbers to be 50,000. Yep. The numbers came in at – 25,000. Right. So it was a it was a negative surprise, right? Yeah. Okay. A, a positive surprise would be the employment number was 65,000, so a surprise on the upside. And what this is saying is that there are more and it's sort of an index of economic data, data points. Mm. It might be retail spending, might be employment, GDP, whatever it is. They're all now coming in lower than expected. And so that aggregate index is just now sloping lower. And basically what this chart is telling us is that we're getting starting to get some soggy data, but the expectation for um, the RBA cash rate continues it's to rise. rise. Interesting. Um, quote the, uh, the RBA. I'll just get rid of that chart. The board expects that further tightening of monetary policy will be needed to ensure that inflation returns to target and that this period of high inflation is only temporary. Uh, this is um, Lowy in his um, post-meeting statement. Yep. Um, any comments on that?
1: You know, as we said, I think a couple of weeks ago, you know, they're really trying to reduce this inflation number and it looks like he's going to do everything he can to, to get it heading in the other
0: direction, right? Um that's the long and short of it, really, isn't it? Could could there be? You know, we, last week we talked about the U.S. mortgage market and how ninety percent of the mortgages were fixed, sub three or four percent. Mm. Could could the, the the Australian market also, for a short period of time, somewhat resemble that of the U.S.? Meaning, a big, I think forty percent of mortgages are currently fixed at the moment, and a big chunk of them are starting to roll in June and July of twenty twenty three, with a with a massive rollout of, of second half of this year. Could it be that we like still a lot of people have mortgages that are that are fixed at that rate that that could be influencing? Um,
1: the, currently, current right current? now, yeah, yeah, I think so. And and we and this fixed rate cliff that we we all keep hearing is going to be a big determination
0: as to you know h- how we move forward. So this thing could really blow up, whereby the RBA keeps ra- raising rates at the pace that they're raising. Um, by the way. Um, Bank of Canada paused uh, mm. the, the other day, so that was that was really interesting. I haven't seen um, many major central banks pause lately, <laughs> um, but I wonder if they push the cash rate so high that it really paralyzes those fixed mortgages. I mean, not to say they're not going to be paralyzed yeah. now, but we're just really pushing pushing. I them mean, if,
1: if you think about it, you know, I was speaking to somebody other the other day where their mortgage payments going up a thousand dollars a week, and you're going, well, that's another four grand a month that you know, they would have had for mm. discretionary spend or saving or schooling or whatever that now needs to go into their mortgage. So it's mm. gotta have an, an impact. Mm. Um, you know, although
0: one one thing we did see um last week, I wrote about it last week war and this is from Core Logic showing the amount of refinancing that's going on. Um and what we're already – and I I was speaking to a couple of brokers last week over dinner and they were saying the banks are already – I mean we're already seeing Mm. the cash offers but they're saying they're cutting margins now. So they're cutting um, bespoke deals when you're looking at refinancing. So I reckon that that's going to be – there's going to be a big game on, I reckon. So if you
1: haven't spoken to your bank, go speak to your bank and ask for a discount.
0: Go talk to a mortgage broker or a mortgage broker to yeah. go and tender the deal, because I reckon that's where the game's at.
1: That's that's if you can uh, get the same deal that you've got now. Well,
0: so. or if anyone would even lend you any money. <laughs> um, this is from this is from bespoke. Um, In assessing – I'm sorry, this is further on from the RBA before I get into bespoke. In assessing when and how much further interest rates need to rise, the board will be paying close attention to developments in the global economy, trends in household spending, and the outlook for inflation in the labour market. See, I reckon the RBA is really now saying, actually, maybe we might just need to take the foot off the gas here and really start to assess the potential implications of the decisions we've made to date – for next month and the month after and the well, month after. it's been going
1: so so hard and so fast. I think the numbers just haven't caught up yet.
0: I, I, don't, I don't disagree with you. Um, I'm going to bring this chart up now from Bespoke. Uh, it's a US Treasury yield, 10-year minus three-month yield. just 1960 to 2023. We looked at the inversion before with yep. the two-year and, and, the, and the 10, but this is the 10 and the three-month, which is probably more reflective of real short-term money movements. I'm just going to quickly read this, but it's it's uh, for those watching the charts up there. Looking back at the period, we would note that after the 2s-10s curve first inverted in October 1979, the economy peaked at the end of January, nearly three months later in January 1980. Despite the fact the economy went into a tailspin in, in the year that followed, that first reading when the curve was inverted by more than 100 bips, the stock market was rather strong. While it was far from a smooth ride over the course of the next year, the S&P 500 rallied almost 23%. The NASDAQ was up 36%, and the Russell 2000 was up over 40%. The two caveats here are first, a small sample size of one is hardly enough of a track record to draw any conclusions from, and second, back in 1979, valuations were a fraction of where they are now. This is interesting, I I found. Back then, the S&P 500 was trading for just 7.3 times trailing earnings. Mm.
1: Where, where are we sitting at today?
0: Today, the S&P 500 trades at a multiple. That's two and a half times that level. So, so we're sitting at 21 times, effective. Well, maybe a little bit I less. I think it'd be less now, now. yeah. Back in 1979, the yield on the 10-year was, was at 10%, which also happens to be two and a half times the current 10-year yield. Time will tell how the economy and the market react to the current backdrop of deeply inverted yield curves. But back in 1979, the last thing most investors probably had in their forecasts was a 20% plus gain in the S&P 500. So that,
1: that happened the year after.
0: Let me wrap up this, uh, well, before I wrap up this section. I'll bring up this mm. chart that Bespoke had. US major index performances. So this was from 1979 to 1980 with that inversion they talk of. This is, um, uh, you, you see the, the market fall. Uh, back in was it April of nineteen nineteen eighty, and you see that that massive rally. S p five hundred up twenty three percent, Nasdaq thirty six, Russell forty and a half percent over that period of time, which I found remarkably fascinating to to see that. And everyone talks about high interest, high inflation periods through the seventies, and we see this at the back end of of seventy nine through the nineteen eighties.
1: So-, so there was a big clean out, effectively. You know, from that um, period of, call it Feb to March, and then yeah, and then
0: a strong rally off off that base. Yeah, correct. Yep. Okay. Well, have have, depending on what which inverted yield curve you look at, the market, the Nasdaq was down thirty five percent last year. Mm. The S P five hundred was down twenty two percent, and I just wonder if that was the clean out. Yeah, is that the clean out? Are we there yet? I don't know. Don't know. Um, finally, um. I'll share this one. This is from, uh, who's this from? Jim Reed from Deutsche Bank, and they looked at when. And you and I have talked about this when inflation hits eight percent, and what happens next through history. So on the left hand side, they use the high inflationary period of the nineteen seventies, all countries. On the right hand side is the nineteen twenties, but let, let's probably just focus on the nineteen seventies. They've got the um, interquartile range. Zero represents when inflation hits eight percent. What happens after? And you look on the right-hand side of that that um, left-hand pane. You've got the median outcome, kind of following the interquartile that light blue range, um, and then you've got the current forecast, current and forecast for the US cycle and the Eurozone cycle. the The red and the red is the US. The grey is Euro, and it is clearly at the bottom end of that interquartile range that we've seen since through 1970s and what the forecast is is that the that inflation is going to come down probably the fastest pace that it's come down in in history sorry during the 1970s Mm. and the 1920s is the same you've got a a lower lower bound um, current current decline and forecast for uh, inflation consensus any comments
1: so this is just their prediction of what will happen based on based on it's just these blo- two points in
0: time. It's Bloomberg. So the the dotted line is the consensus numbers. The the thick line. Who, who's 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 a part of that consensus view? You'll have you'll have economists. You'll have banks providing right. consensus view. Right. Um,
1: so so basically they're going out of probabilistically this uh, interquartile range zone.
0: Yeah. For the 1970s. For the
1: 1970s, but not for the 1920s.
0: Well, if you have a look at the US current cycle in, in the thick red, mm. solid red line, it already has. It's already yeah. breached that lower bound.
1: So, I mean, what this is saying is the median is a lot higher. Uh, for that period, For that yes. period. It, it, it looks like... So, potentially, the consensus view is underestimating how inflation will go going forward.
0: Potentially, but so
1: far... That's how I would read it.
0: Yeah. And potentially. Yeah, maybe you're right. Who knows? I mean, that's why we've got an into inter- that's why we've got a range, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and,
1: and and yeah, I mean, it could could just end up being higher for longer, right?
0: Which is the which is a no landing scenario that you mm. and I talk about, yeah. And and others are obviously talking about. And you see that that blue line, which is inflation, a lot stickier than yeah. what you think it is. Yeah. But I would say in both counts through the seventies and nineties, if you compare current to then, where where. We're at the lower bound on both of those periods. Time will tell. Time will tell, and I think, um, yeah, look, my, if
1: if that if that happens, that's great for interest rates. Interest rates will probably head down. But you know, if we're if we're more along where the median's going to be, I think we'll be at higher rates. Yeah, for longer. sure,
0: yeah. But so far, I, I'll 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 take what the data says. And, and I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll take the consensus viewpoint that we're probably going to continue oh, on the current trend.
1: Smarter, smarter people than, than <laughs> you and I. <laughs> okay. Mate, the consensus is always, always wrong though. Yeah.
0: Um, anyway, let's, let's hand over to you. What do you yeah, got? Yeah.
1: Well, we've got funds and fees right now. So an interesting article in the AFR, um, private debt funds boom, but upfront fees divide in investors. I mean, this very is top
0: AFR from the
1: AFR. Yep. Uh, pretty topical i mean there's been a rise in alternative invest investments recently and you know obviously you and i um running the income capital income fund you know this is front of mind for us what what sort of fees is everyone are everyone charging and um is that appropriate right so i mean look it's a in australia anyway it's a pretty opaque world fund fees are you know they charge in combination right you, you've got management fees you've got performance fees you've got fund fees you've got Fees are being charged uh, in addition to all those fund fees to the borrower for originating and managing deal flow. So every fund manager is doing it different uh, in terms of how fees are allocated, and there's basically not much consistency at the moment in terms of how fees are allocated for for what funds and how transparent some funds are. Right? So you might you might be investing in a in a in a credit fund, for example, where you know, they're, they're charging you 50 bips on, on the fund level. But then outside of that fund level, on the underlying deals that they're doing, there's a bunch of other fees being charged that you, you've probably got no idea The about.
0: investor has no idea? The
1: investor would have no idea about.
0: Why do they have to have an idea? Why should there be consistency across funds?
1: Well, it, it comes down to, you know, how much economic value is being added? What... What... Um, what value is being provided to you and at what cost and what risk are you taking for that value, right? So, you know, a lot of investors wouldn't be able to assess that. You know, they're just looking at um, gross returns and nominal returns and, and what they're getting at the end of the day and going, well, are we happy with 5%, 6%? Um, well, well, maybe. What, what risk are you taking for that 5 and 6%? And I don't think investors are looking down to that level of detail Going, uh, you know, and, and assessing—I mean, the devil's in the detail, right? So assessing what what's ap- actually having happening at that fund level and determining if if that that fee is appropriate.
0: What was the viewpoint of of the article?
1: Look, I, th- I think the bottom line is, you know, that there could be more transparency with fund fees. Um, you know, there's there's obviously lots of costs um, to a business to originate these transactions. You know, marketing overhead, staff, uh, and yeah, but shouldn't that be
0: shouldn't that be covered in the management fees? The management fees from the
1: capital side. So there's a there's a there's a amount of work that needs to be done on the capital side to to ensure that I- investors' money is being well managed. You know, compliance aspects being completed, all the accounting and administration from a capital <laughs> perspective has been done. But then there's there's also a fee for. Uh, originating transactions, which takes a lot of sweat and and experience to to be able to put together and package these transactions up, right? So, you know, some managers are keeping those fees separate, and there's a, there's other managers that are combining them and saying, well, you know, we'll we'll take a performance fee instead of uh you know instead of taking these upfront fees from from borrowers. And and packaging that all together and saying, well, if we deliver more value, we'll just take a proportion of uh, that out performance. Right,
0: but um, why does it have to be a consistency? Is it for the benefit of the investor to understand? I think it's
1: for the benefit of the investor to understand. Is there alignment to their investment manager uh, when they're when they're investing in these vehicles? Um, you know, are, are we reaping all the benefit? Is it being passed on? I don't think I don't think anyone's really averse to paying more fees if that's due and payable so you know everyone needs to make money to 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 win right um but it's working out you know i suppose if there was a transparent and free market the the market should then dictate where the fees should be
0: right do you think it's not, or do you think it's still quite well, immature and opaque?
1: Yeah, I think I think not all investors get access to the right opportunities, so there's no real free market for them to really assess, um, uh, you know, where the fees are. It's not like you know, there's a there's a website that goes into every sure. single fund line and says, hey, these ones are charging the lowest fees and are the best risk adjusted return for, for your money for investing so in, the, in this asset in this article.
0: Class. I quote non bank led the metrics credit partners, for example, may air quotes, get fees from borrowers, but such fu- such fees would not impact on the trust's returns. <laughs> MCP MCP sent a disclosure statement for its listed master income trust, MCP may receive additional fees from the borrowers of the relevant loans of the MCP Wholesale Investment Trust and Wholesale Funds, the firm said in a statement, which was viewed by the uh, AFR, these fees will not be paid from the assets of the trust, but will be paid by the borrower to the MCP. These mm. fees, fees will not be a cost to the trust and do not affect the returns of the trust.
1: Correct. Correct. Yeah. So so basically, if you if you you're, you're happy who, to get five or six percent, then you know it doesn't matter what additional fees they're charging elsewhere. You're still going to get your five six percent.
0: So is is Jonathan then Shapiro, not Shaparo, um, Is he? What's he saying though? Is he saying that those fees? I haven't read the full article. Should he? Sh- uh, should those fees be pushed down to investors, or he's saying it should be standardised that you should be able to charge this much, not charge that much, or should
1: be transparent in the way that um, they disclose those fees? Gotcha. So there's no. Dis- there's so you no put it out on the table.
0: Yeah. And what's your but, viewpoint? On well, the look, a lot of
1: these transactions are bespoke, right? So you'll 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 arrange those upfront fees at the deal level based on how much work that deal is right
0: who so, you going to disclose it to these are private transactions that oh, are that's, done that's with thing. private people who and that's why it's called private debt um whereby you can't disclose these things it's, so how it's do very you hard. how do you then
1: i mean then then you're just going to have uh, effectively a you know a cookie cutter machine where uh, for, for for something that can't be cookie cutter right it's bespoke you're not doing something cookie cutter so yeah it's very hard and, and look, courses for courses, I think there are some funds Horses that for courses? Horses for courses. You like that? You said courses for courses. Did I say yeah. courses for courses? <laughs> horses for courses. Um, but, you know, some, some funds are able to do that as they're less, less bespoke and, and they can be more transparent around the fee structure.
0: And if people, if funds want to pitch that as their value proposition or their- Yeah, OSP if you're delivering
1: significant alpha in terms of what you're, um, what you're doing- Shouldn't I that think nat- you should
0: be rewarded for that. Shouldn't that naturally bring the investor t- to you? Like to your point, the free market, if, if, if one uh, lender or manager wants to push it out and provide that transparency to their investors and take mm. a performance fee instead, wouldn't the free market naturally be gravitate towards that if they do a good enough job? You'd think so. You'd think so.
1: And, and some managers are doing that. And I think it works quite well for them.
0: Anything else you want to add there? So, so what's your what's what's the bottom line for you? Do you think there should be the transparency, or is it just something that just can't be done? It would be nice. Look, my preference
1: is just alignment, right? If 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 a manager generating alpha for you, uh, then they should be able to reap the benefits of that. Yes, there probably could be more transparency, but they should be rewarded for that mm-hmm. and, and not felt you know dirty for taking taking more fees if they're if they're providing value. Um, so that transparency in terms of alignment, I think if you have a performance fee structure there.
0: Probably does work well mm. where
1: you know everyone makes more money, right? Yeah, it's a win-win for everyone.
0: Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, is cash really king? Now, I I had to bring this up oh. because I couldn't, like, I, I just couldn't digest it. <laughs> I had to be in my bonnet for like one week. Mm. <laughs> I was like, "What's happening yeah, you I know. about this?" I know you um, <coughs> so this is this is the article. Uh, this is from the Afr Chris Joy. If you can't earn nine percent. You're better off in cash to allocate to anything other than cash and high-grade bonds. Um, he's a high-grade bond manager, by the yes, way, just yes. to, for full disclosure. <laughs> you'd want to be paid a risk premium of 4 to 5%. In the article, he goes on to say, with global cash rates rising above 4% to 5%. Uh, Many highly rated government bonds offering 4% to 5%. Bank deposits paying 4% to 6%. I don't know what bank deposits are paying 6%, by the way. And bonds paying as much as 6% to 7%. Well, what type of bonds are they? Mm. Um, I suspect they're they're not senior bonds. Uh, The minimum hurdle rates for all other asset classes have soared. The minimum hurdle rates for all other asset classes have soared. I mean,
1: I, I don't disagree with him that there should be a premium. Um, and, you know, we, we, we charge uh, the RBA cash rate plus 5%. So, um, you know, that's that sort of I, – I don't think that's too bad a formula. But uh, sorry to interject.
0: Yeah, 100% there needs to be a hurdle, uh, a, a hurdle rate. It's a risk premium. It's a premium that one would expect to receive over something else for the risk they're taking on and be compensated for that risk. It doesn't always pay off. But you need to have the opportunity and the prospect of earning something greater. And we've already seen in the charts before whereby people are pulling money out of equities. And the reality is in the US, your real dividend in the US is equivalent for the first time in, I think (coughs) since early 2000s, it is the same cash return as is the six-month deposit in the US. Right. CD, cash deposit. Okay. So as an investor, what do you do with that? with rates rising Mm. and that being a drag on long-term assets such as such as equities and you're seeing um returns come down and you can get the same return for for far less risk people are people are taking money off the table and, and 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 so that's he's right the hurdle rates increased but to go on and throw some of these numbers out i think is is insane um to earn 9% you're better off in cash. I mean that, that that's you know, I mean the editors obviously coming up with a pretty punchy and quite, catchy quite headline. Inflammatory. Yeah. But you know that that's <laughs> do you think that's realistic? I mean it is realistic. Sorry, I shouldn't ask if it's realistic, but how does how does the everyday investor reading the Australian Financial Review and I think this is really important because this is not the first article that's been written by Chris Joy who I think um, Super smart guy. His his logic and thought process and methodology, I think, is is incredible. Um, but to to sensationalize with these headlines, and when you read the article, and to talk about bank deposits paying four to six, I don't know unless it's I don't know. Uh, an well, uh, there, uh, there there is uh, right who? now goldfields mining bank. Like who who the hell's paying six? <laughs> no, <percent?
1: laughs> there's some majors playing paying paying that up to certain hurdles. So uh, up to $10,000? I
0: think 50... You're so telling me 50. major banks are paying 6%. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Percent. I don't
1: believe you. Four and a half, four and a half.
0: Mate, four and a half and six is different. Uh, I'm not
1: saying six. I'm not saying six. Yeah, six is pretty, uh, bank pretty aggressive. Bank bonds
0: paying much as 6 to 7%. Let me Which look this up. Which bank bonds, what seniority in bank bonds are paying 6 to 7%? I'll, subordinated. Uh, I, I guarantee it's subordinated debt. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Oh,
1: here we go. Here's one from Ubank. Earn 4.6% up to 250 grand.
0: That's not bad. That's pretty that's good.
1: Pretty good. Uh, here we go. 5.15 from up who? to 50 grand from Bank of Queensland for people aged 14 to 35.
0: Because <laughs> the guy that's got the, the 15 year old's got 50, <laughs> 50 grand, grand, he's grand bank to put
1: account. in. Yep. Uh, what else? High interest saving. Here we go. Another one. Rabobank 4.75% on balances up to 250 grand four months? Are they for nine-year-olds? New customers. Year olds? <laughs> <laughs> Great Southern Bank, 4.5%. Um, okay. On balances, 100 grand to 750 grand. So you can point, at least get taken. four and a half.
0: Okay, point taken, get yeah, four and a half. But I don't know what banks are giving, giving six, six, 6 is. Yeah, I think that's stretching it. 6 or 7% on bonds, I don't disagree. But I think what's really important here, investors really need to understand what this is, what I, this is my, my opinion, yep. what risk are you taking 100%. for that return? And so if you can get 6% in a bank deposit, according to the article, why on earth would you go and buy a, a subordinated bond for 6%? 100%, yeah, you wouldn't. If you're getting bank deposit four to six, I think there needs to be another 250 basis point risk premium mm. for bonds. I agree with that, 100%. And so, in fact, you're not being compensated sufficiently if you're buying a subordinate. I'm telling you it's subordinated. I know it's subordinated because I've... A&Z's oh, read ...subordinated yeah. notes at 6.5%, right? Yeah. And so if you can get 45 or 5% in a, in a term deposit, mm. why the hell would you go and take risk on a subordinated note for another 150 points? I think that's ludicrous. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. Um, so I think what's really important here is investors need to understand what risk are they taking. I, I don't think most investors understand the risk they're taking. No. And
1: what's the appropriate risk-adjusted return?
0: Correct. Um, for, look, for, for me, the bottom line here is is that um, – and I'll just share something which I found hilarious. Uh, I, I didn't write this, by the way. Um, in fact, I'll, I'll, I'll bring this up now. Uh, this, is, this is from – the kook, Stephen Kuk- Kukoulas. can't pronounce this. Sorry, mate, if I've, if I've just butchered totally your name. butchered your surname. Kukoulas. It must be Greek. Um, so the first article was published by Joy on Twitter. If you can't earn 9%, you're better off in cash. Pleb Capital says, uh, so definitely not negative yielding leveraged real estate then, eh? The kook. Mm. And the kook responds, and I thought this was just gold. Just checked, but Chris's bond hedge fund has returned an annual average of minus 2.02% for the last three years. Less 66 basis points of fees per annum. $100 invested three years ago with Chris Joy's uh, bond hedge fund is now worth around $92. And then he goes on to say, I thought this was just the mic drop. If you can't earn zero, you're best keeping keeping quiet, I would suggest. (laughs) <laughs> Ooh, that's um, a bit of a Yeah, just a, a, a right, yeah, right hook. hook. Yeah. Uh, on that one. That's um, probably a fair enough comment well, though. I think I think that is that is fair. And look, I, I've looked at the funds of cool Bar mm. Capital. They're not returning nine percent. So if your funds aren't aren't earning nine percent, do you just pull I mean pull Oh
1: well if you if you're negative Yielding on something that's
0: supposedly very low risk. Yeah. So, so I think I think for investors, the bottom line for me is what people say and what people do actually do are very different. Mouthpieces that are just talking away on social media, on crazy people yep. on podcasts, um, and how they're actually managing money. I think. Uh, 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 on two different planets um, Nasim Taleb once oh, said He yeah. said don't don't tell me what you think Show me your portfolio And I think You know I, I would say You know to, to anyone making these claims I don't want to hear your bullshit Like show me how you're investing yeah. That to me is the bottom line And I think that's what investors need to look at I, I'm I'm done on this rant. That's I feel good. I feel a bit better. Maybe about Maybe there should
1: be a, a little a box next to your podcast or whenever you write an article to say how you've how you've performed. <laughs> <laughs> how, how, yeah, as an expert speaking on this topic,
0: right? Yeah, I mean, you look at the last article that was written um, about uh, bonds, and basically, Chris is pushing he the ANZ. A subordinated note mm. as a as a bank bond. Great, yeah, bank bond sounds really secure. But what the hell's a seniority? You're getting six and a half percent for a subordinated yeah, sitting
1: note. sitting behind everyone
0: else. You know what's going to happen when shit hits the fan? If that's the pitch to why you should buy the subordinated note, dude, you're you're at the back of the queue, man. You're not.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, you'll be converting to equity. You're gone to yeah, equity at at probably cents in the dollar, right?
0: So I, I think people need to understand the sequence of events and how the market works and what triggers cause other things, mm. second order, third order effects. And don't don't just buy what what don't just buy a face value pitch that, that or, or headline that you're reading. So anyway, I'll breathe a sigh of relief. Yep. And uh let's, uh
1: let's move to I'll, show I'll me the ha- money. Hand
0: over the baton to you for this one.
1: <laughs> show me the money. Uh, so this is um this is the wealth report from Knight Frank. So you know if we pull that up Um, You know, the headlines, the recalibration, optimism for wealth creation in 2023 is high despite turbulence and aggregate decreases seen in 2022 with 69% of Attitude Survey respondents expecting their clients' wealth to increase this year.
0: 2023?
1: In 2023. So the Attitude Survey... That's done. That was done in November 2022 by more than 500 private bankers, wealth advisors, intermediaries, and around family the offices around the world. Yep. So um, all the ultra high net worth clients. Um, some of the banks participating: ANZ, Bank of Singapore, Citibank, CBA, um, HSBC, Standard Chartered, um, some other big names. Um, they also Knight Frank does a pulse survey as well. Um, so that's got again the views of another 500 high net worth individuals from 10 countries and territories, including Australia, China, France, Hong Kong, Italy, Singapore, Spain, Switzerland, UK, and the US. And that was conducted in January, 2023. So they've got a good cross section of the high net worth and ultra high net worth. Could they, be, could they that have been just surveying.
0: uber bullish in January? Cause the market just went on a t- out, of, out of the gate. The
1: yeah. I mean, these guys managed 2.5 trillion in okay. wealth combined. <clears throat> under those uh, those that were surveyed, um, and uh, yeah, they could have they could have been bullish then. but you know, so what, what's 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 happening is you know, despite macro headwinds, geopolitical headwinds, private investments still remain pretty robust um, in Asia Pac. They're looking at growth uh, for high net worths, um, while in Europe and America, understandably, with you know the economic slowdown that's happened over there and higher. U.S. interest rates taking its toll. Um, they're looking more at capital preservation. So
0: Europe and U.S. are looking for capital preservation.
1: Most uh, their high net worths that were surveyed. A.P.A.C. wants is APAC's looking for growth. Looking for growth. So <laughs> that's re- interesting. Yeah, really interesting. Um, and and you know why does that matter? I mean, half of high net worths in. Uh, surveyed are looking to increase their portfolio in 2023 so they're seeing
0: women increase their portfolio yeah
1: so i'll just bring up this this graph if um they've they've surveyed um a high net worth to oh, allocate okay. their wealth gotcha so if you look at changing tack you'll see that 47 percent of um those surveyed are looking at increasing their investment portfolio this year in 2023 oh, gotcha there's been a big pivot to cash reserves and, you know, that touches on your point of credit spreads and, and um, high-grade mm. bonds, bond yields. Um, so 46% of those surveyed uh, want to increase their, their you know, cash
0: and cash reserve holdings. So half of them are wanting to increase the portfolio. The other half are cash reserves. Cash reserves. So that's interesting where you've got – it's split down the middle effectively. Mm,
1: mm. Um and, and if you look right down the bottom to level of debt, obviously because interest rates have been rising, 29%, um, there's been a big wow. um, increase in people looking to reduce their level of debt. A
0: third, a third, a third. Mm.
1: Um, so, look, at, it gives you a really good flavour in terms of, uh, you know, what – People with money uh, are looking at doing. Obviously, with COVID and, and, and restrictions in traveling, overseas travel uh, has been a top priority for, for the ultra wealthy. What's
0: standing out for me is holdings of residential property, holdings of commercial property. Look at the decrease 15, 16%.
1: No, yeah, most people holding. So, I mean, these are the people that can afford to hold, right? they can afford the land tax. It's not they a can, good weather bell or bellwether. It's not not a not a great bellwether. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and and you're looking at, you know, 32 and 28% respectively, looking at increasing their holdings in residential and commercial property. And what's
0: that? Potentially taking advantage of any opportunities
1: opportunities in the market. So uh, people with money are still well poised to take advantage of the market. And if we look at this second portfolio makeup um, graph, um, portfolio makeup on average total wealth mm. Primary and secondary home, 32%. So, that that's the biggest portion. Equities, again, another big portion at 26%. Uh, and then commercial properties, 21%. Bonds, 17%. And then the list uh, continues um, to go down. Um, but, uh, you know, the Knight Frank, obviously, a, a, you know, very real estate-focused based. Uh, you know, a lot of the, the paper, which I encourage everyone to have a read of, is... Um, uh, we're talking about investments in in residential um globally and that that being a, a big um part of uh i 'll try with investment strategy for the year of
0: twenty twenty three is there a decrease from um like commercial and like a shift from commercial to residential is that
1: yeah they 're just seeing opportunity for investment in that sector it's looking at that as a, a safe um safe right, asset okay. class to invest in um i 'll go i 'll have another graph. Uh, bit later on which I'll go into and that that sort of ranks why they think that uh, we can probably pull that up now actually so if we go down to uh, residential property um, and and how high net worths view it um, they view that as the safest asset class at the moment so residential property is is higher than gold gold is second and then bonds third commercial property fourth equity markets fifth and crypto six so as, you know, number one being the safest and least volatile asset class. And, you know, that makes sense in, 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 in you know, everyone in Maslow's law, everyone needs a place to live, right? Um, so, you know, it's, it's you know, one of those things that is not negotiable, um, you know, and, and, and people are seeing value in that. That
0: chart's interesting.
1: Yeah, really interesting. So, bottom line is, uh, you know, healthy activity in global markets is 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 still on the cards for 2023. Uh, people are looking for opportunity, and you know, speaking to a couple of high net worths um, over the course of the week, actually, um, you know, what what they've been saying is, you know, they're they're looking past these rate rises, right? And they're saying things things will eventually stabilize. So, you know, looks. Let's look at let, let's look past that. Let's look at the opportunity. Um, you know, past this this hump of uh, you know, interest rate rises and they're seeing there's you know, opportunity going forward.
0: I think the market is, is coming to a point and we, we read that in the, in the RBA statement where they said we're going to be looking closely at economic data, employment and so on and so forth. Um, so the RBA is well and truly aware of it um, and if we're getting to a, the, uh, the sort of tail end now of rate rises... And we may very well just sit here and just mm. hover for a prolonged period of time. And if that is the if that is the consensus viewpoint, clearly it's not because we're shooting north of four. We're not that far away. No. Maybe we've got another one another one one in there, right? And investors now understand where the like the, the playing field. Investors did not know what the playing field was back in August, September last year. That's right. Clearance yep. rates were in property were non existent. Nothing was on the market, nothing was selling, nothing was moving. And if you if you think about the uncertainty of um, of the investor at that point in time versus now, we're not saying that rates are going to get cut. We're not saying that the RBA is going to start cutting rates and everything's going to get better all of a sudden. Just the, the 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 playing field is is now a lot clearer. Yeah, that's right. We've
1: sort of people can make decisions.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that that's in my mind <laughs> the probably the best case scenario. Mm. I think the right cuttings no, that's not uh, that's not an option at this yeah. point in time. Yeah. Um, you got anything for directors' cuts?
1: No, I didn't really
0: have anything this week. All right, I'll bring up this tweet. Tell me what you think. Seven News. It will soon be illegal for landlords to kick tenants out of their homes at the end of their lease without a m- reason. In a major win for New South Wales struggling it's just renters. That's ridiculous. So you, I mean, that's your property. Yeah, yeah, no, you can't. You can't listen. What's the good it's reason? Out of control. Like who who determines what a good That's reason right.
1: is? Well when when we had a tenant in our place and when we wanted to move back in, we had to we had to do a stat deck to say we were actually moving back in to be able to kick them out. Um, you know, this was mid last year. Um, so, you know, we're not we're not too much better in Victoria, to be
0: honest. But, but listen but look, but read this quote from Caitlin Catter. A law should be made for rent increases as well, especially unreasonable ones that are done because of rising interest rates. A tenant shouldn't be financially responsible for their investment.
1: <laughs> are we we're living in some sort of communist socialist society? Mate, like if there I, should be free markets, right? I if I go
0: to the shop and the price of my Apple has gone up because of interest rates and... Supply or whatever, chain. And... The, the the grocer had to increase his price. Am I going to say to the grocer, "Fuck you, man! I shouldn't be responsible for the decision you made to go into the fruit business." Exactly. I, I Mate, just just this is just crazy basic economics. Crazy. This is out of control. It is out of control. And look, I'm not, I'm not saying that uh, everyone's doing it easy, and obviously Pete, there are many people oh. that are not doing it easy, um, and that's why we've got all these rules and laws, and you know. For those that c- can't afford, we provide housing. And, well, we have and one of that. the best social support systems, 100%. globally. But look, I, I, I don't want to get too down to that rabbit hole. Um, yeah, but th- I, I just found this to be a bit <laughs> a bit over the top.
1: Uh, I think so. I think so. It's it's going. It, it's yeah. It's out of control.
0: On a lighter note, let's wrap up with tips and Rex. What do you got? Tips and Rex this week.
1: Ooh, where did I go the other night? I went to. Um, oldie but goodie what's that cumulus
0: oh you went to cumulus i thought yeah. the place was called oldie but goodie. no no no
1: yeah went, went there for dinner the other cumulus. night cumulus. i haven't been to cumulus i haven't been for many years they and still it's
0: fantastic are looking down on everyone still all
1: right yeah probably i sat at the bar it was, it was nice we had a chat to the to the chefs and
0: just 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 a good vibe was it expensive still expensive it's still expensive I haven't been there in years. No, it's, it's still very good. My mortgage rates have gone up. I can't. <laughs> well, <laughs> was yeah, it packed? It, it was packed. How? How? Like this it is a thing. This is the thing. What everyone's talking about: doom and gloom, pessimism, confidence levels down. Oh, meanwhile, cumulus is packed. Well, people are still willing to pay for entertainment, right? And we saw that in the last uh,
1: set of uh, GDP and inflation numbers. Mm. What, you know, entertainment and retail is still mm. one of the biggest drivers of inflation. Mm. You know, I can't get it get out for less than a hundred bucks for a meal these days with, with two people. Uh, It's out of control. And you know, and the portion sizes are are getting just smaller as well.
0: Shrinkflation. Shrinkflation.
1: So yeah, it's, uh, but it was still delicious. Wait till your kids get older, man. You you just forget about it. (laughs) You're like, we're not going out. (laughs) No, we're just going, (laughs) we're just going for, for Woolies, uh, roast chicken. Well,
0: remember when we were talking about like a few weeks back on, um, on one of the episodes, um, where inflation was blowing out for, like, olive oil and retail. And yeah, pe- the pizza index, <laughs> if you go out and buy the pizza, it's cheaper to make it at home.
1: Unbelievable, yeah. Have,
0: have you made pizza in your Gosney?
1: I haven't done so for probably four weeks now. Yeah, right. So um, I'm, due, I'm due, to, due, to, due to have you over for a pizza
0: night. Yeah, okay. I look forward to that. Yeah. Um, so talking about people still spending money, we went to the air show on Sunday last week. And I've never been. Have you been to the air show? No. Did I tell you I went to the air show? Yeah, yeah. You told me. How was it, mate? It it's like it's like nothing that I've ever been to before. It was insane. First of all, it took us two and a half hours to get there. No, no. I'm sorry. Three hours to wow. get there. It was bumper to bumper to bumper. Like, like the Westgate was fine to get over there, but when you get like towards Lara and there, it, and trying to get. Like, around Avalon, like, there's this... You have to follow a certain way. And we were in, the, like, the Geelong Overflow car park. Mate, this thing is just... I, I just couldn't uh, even just comprehend the amount of cars and people that were at this thing. It was wow. sold out. Saturday was sold out. Sunday was sold out. I heard they had to refund tickets.
1: Cause I, heard the, yeah, I heard that as well. They refunding was, tickets. Was, people couldn't get in or it was, there was delays everywhere. Mate, and, it was, and it was just chaotic. Out.
0: It was hot and i don't I, like I've, that's actually the first time I, I think i've ever been to avalon and mate it's 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 like a there's just dust storms everywhere it's windy it's red dust it's more everywhere. it's more um, cinematic
1: with the with all the planes flying by and the dust spinning everywhere just like oh, a no, gun no, no
0: it's not unless you buy a gold ticket you can't go on the top. Ah. can tarmac It is inflation <laughs> there you go right and i didn't and how know. Much about is, this. how much is the gold ticket i can't remember yeah I don't know. Uh, but under 15 kids are free, which I yep. thought was pretty good. Yep. Um, we paid general admission. It was an 89, 90 bucks a ticket. Um, but I was thinking about like, you know, uh, oh, I sent you a photo. I said, what recession? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mate, it was sold out. It was packed. Kids loved it? Uh, they got over it. It was just too much. Yeah. Like the the energy there was chaotic energy. Yeah, yeah. People, everywhere, there's nowhere to sit. Yeah. There's no green grass. Oh. It's just dirt and yep. dust and yep. noise and... <laughs> but man, these fighter jets—once, once these things turn and the arse end is facing you, you oh, your whole body crazy. just vibrates, and the noise, the these things just flying at—these things fly a thousand kilometers oh, an hour.
1: Amazing. If you I've, been, I've seen Maverick three times now, because oh, yeah? in IMAX, oh, it's yeah. just amazing. I can't I'd,
0: imagine just the G force when you're the pilot sitting in there, and when they're just doing their their loops, and then they're free falling. I'm like, man, is this guy, like, is he doing that on purpose or is he, is he actually like passed yeah, out? passed the out, going, <laughs> nine Gs. Yeah, just going down. <laughs> so, look, if you, I if 100% recommend going, but next time, um, 100% of go on a Friday. Yeah. Take day off work, go on a Friday, pull the kids out of yeah, school. Yeah, Hopefully I no one from the schools listening to this. <laughs> pull the kids out of school, get gold tickets. Yeah. Because the gold tickets allow you to go into, like, um, like a stand. Right. Like a soccer stand. yep, like yep. So- um, and you see the planes landing Crazy. and taking off the awesome. tarmac, and these things are beasts. Like these massive planes that are like almost like warplanes that wow. carry like equipment. People, it's just these things are jumbo size. I don't even know how they get off and the speed they fly. At. But anyway, good fun. We weren't there for that long, but I was in the car for almost driving for five hours on <laughs> on Sunday. <laughs> five hours with the kids
1: in the car. Uh, yes. good effort good yeah. effort
0: got him a slurpee on the way back so that shut them up for a little while <laughs> alright all right. anything else no. good? All, right. all good let's, uh let's wrap up um, hit us up on on YouTube Spotify and we're posting all the stuff on LinkedIn as well so check us out we'll catch you next week my name is Robert Baharian and I'm the founder and CEO of Baharian Wealth Management AFSL 526 798 the information contained in this podcast by me and or our guests may include general advice and does not consider your personal circumstances you should seek personal advice from a registered financial advisor who can consider whether the general advice is right for you